Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, my name is Fraser Allen and this is the Scottish Business Network podcast. In each fortnightly episode, you and I will be hearing from a big personality from the world of Scottish business. Our first two episodes were very much biographical. This one is a bit different. It's all about a building and a concept called the Library of Mistakes. Edinburgh-based Professor Russell Napier has spent much of his career wondering why we aren't better at learning from the mistakes of the past, even the high-profile blunders of the very recent past that led to the crash of 2008. As a result, in 2014 he founded the Library of Mistakes in Edinburgh. Tucked away in a lovely little muse building in the west end of the city, it's a charming place to spend a few hours sifting through more than 3,000 books documenting all the cock-ups that we make time and time again in finance, in business, in society, in politics and as human beings. Quirky and with some deft touches of humour, the library has nonetheless been established with serious and valuable intentions. Russell explains all. It's a compelling listen. Here we are in the Library of Mistakes in the centre of Edinburgh with uh, Professor Russell Napier. So Russell, please start by telling us the story of why you wanted to establish the library and what your future plans are for it. The Library of Mistakes is here sort of as an antidote to the traditional teaching of finance. And we are currently a finance business slash orientated library, though that is changing. And that antidote is to say that there is more in heaven and earth that is dreamt of in numbers and decimal points that the understanding of how finance works and how money works uh, relates to human beings and human behaviour throughout history. And this library tracks that behaviour. Uh, now, you might say that's kind of a maverick approach, but actually it's not maverick at all, because it's, we see it as a branch of what is known as behavioural finance. And I think many people listening to this will have read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which was a bestseller, amazingly, uh, an economics textbook, which was uh, a bestseller. And all Kahneman's book is about, and his Nobel citation when he got the Nobel Prize, was for understanding human decision-making under uncertainty. To say that the rational economic man may be uh, more of a myth than a reality, and there are other things to look at it. Now, Kahneman approaches that as a psychologist, and there are lots of things we've learned from uh, psychiatry, mm -hmm. psychology, that have taught us about these things. We approach it from history and say, well, let us study human decision-making under uncertainty. Now, we have a title, The Library of Mistakes, uh, clearly, not everybody who makes a decision under uncertainty makes a mistake, but quite a few do. Uh, and this is a library with both, actually. It's not just about mistakes. Man, we have Bill Gates in here, so I'm, you know, no one's going to say Bill Gates is a mistake. We have Warren Buffett in here as well. So this is a way we can... Another way I like to put it is this. It's a great quote from von Moltke, the military strategist, who said that uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And Mike Tyson more famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And in this That's library, we have yeah. all the punches in the mouth. So, I mean, it's, it's not about, are you going to get punched in the mouth mm. when you're in business? Yes. Mm. The question is, how do you react? Well, come and study, come and, come and read, come and listen to some of the lectures we have here and be prepared for that punch in the mouth and how, what is the right way to react and what is the wrong way to react. And of course, you wrote a book um, before the, the crash of 2008 predicting uh, a lot of what was about to happen. And that has, I think, um, led in part to the, the library because I, I believe you started seeing the same mistakes that were being made then being made again and you wanted to help remind people of how we should learn from the past. Sure. Uh, really, this library springs from even before that because in 2002, 2004, uh, there's a charity that I'm involved with and we set up a course called The Practical History of Financial Markets. So even at that stage in 2004, we were keen to 
explain that there's more to heaven and earth than numbers and decimal points. My book was published in 2005, just kind of following on from that, and the library's an extension of that. So uh, uh, I, I think we have it on our website, and it's a quote from a, a wonderful man called Jim Grant, or James Grant in America, who's a wonderful writer on finance. And we plucked this quote from him, and he said, in, in, in science, knowledge is cumulative, but in finance, it is merely cyclical. And we question why that should be so. And mm -hmm. there are reasons why it will always be cyclical, because it's based yeah. on human nature and greed, but does it have to be so cyclical? So I think one of the things we question throughout is that the numbers alone lead us more down the line of extrapolation. And extrapolation is dangerous. And understanding the mechanisms, understanding decision-making, understanding humanity is probably going to be helpful, but it will absolutely not eradicate crises. It will not eradicate mm -hmm. greed, and it will not eradicate any of those things. It can maybe tame them somewhat, uh, and that's what the library is about. And you mentioned science, that the art of science is all about trying things out and then learning continually from, from the mistakes that are made and building on them. Do we need more scientists working in financial services? No, absolutely not. We need fewer scientists working in, uh, in financial services. We've got far too many already. You're probably aware that we have a lot of, uh, well, these divisions are actually called the rocket science divisions and they are full of scientists and I think they're part of the problem. You know, right. I, there's a famous quote from Jeff Vinar, who I think was the CFO of Goldman Sachs during the crisis, mm. saying that, uh, some of the things they were seeing in markets were 26 sigma events. Now, I'm not a mathematician, and, uh, but I think you always die that 26 sigma event would be something that you know, really hasn't happened since the Ice Age. Uh, anybody who'd read any financial history whatsoever understood that these things were not actually that unusual. Now, they may not have happened for a few decades, mm. but they really were yeah. not that unusual. So a scientist uh, who uses the evidence and data of the last 20 to 30 years on that occasion, was completely misled by right, that, by right, that, by that yeah. data. So, you know, the data only tells you part of the story. I mean, if you look at it as a, maybe as a doctor, what the scientists know about is the skeleton. Mm -hmm. Well, the skeleton tells you absolutely nothing about human behaviour. They're looking at cadavers. So what, what do we need more of in financial services? Do we need uh, psychologists, historians? I believe that you, your feeling is that we need to embrace the whole sort of the, the, the arts, which is why the library fits very neatly into that uh, picture. Sure. We need people who can think. I mean, it sounds pretty easy, but sometimes the equations are a crutch not for thinking. Sometimes. Not always. I mean, I'm not mm. sort of, we're not saying that there's no role for mathematics and finance. Clearly, there's a huge role for mathematics and finance, but using it as this crutch is not good. So people who can think and people who can understand human decision-making under uncertainty, it's a phrase I keep coming back to. Because right. I think it encapsulates it very well, and it does now have the imprimatur of the Nobel Prize Committee, or more accurately, the Riksbank Prize Committee. So that is what we need, people who can do that. Now, there are lots of fund management companies I know that don't, don't really employ anybody who's got a formal qualification in finance. Some of the brightest investors I know are classicists. Uh, I know one fund management company that specializes in hiring engineers. These, right. are, these are people yeah. who solve problems. Yep. And solving problems, coming with a without a finance background, mm. as a problem solver, I think you're likely to solve these problems better mm -hmm. because you don't come with any a priori view. So. Yeah. I guess uh, we can be grateful to the financial services sector, though, because in terms of needing to stock a library, and we've hundreds of books here on the, on the shelves, they've provided you with a wealth of material. There have been so many mistakes mm. made over the the passage of, of time. Do you feel that um, there is any progress now in terms of the financial services industry generally learning from those mistakes and, and making 
making some improvements? Yeah, I think the answer is, and it's not my answer, but I can't remember who gave the answer. It's in the short term, a lot. In the medium term, a little. In the long term, zero, in terms of learning from the last crisis. Right. Uh, everything is always forgotten. You know, everything is always going to be new. It's when you see the word new appearing that you really have to concern. You know, that is the word that comes up in finance all the time. Mm. Uh, new economy in particular. Right. So yeah. there are people who believe that things are different this time. Mm-hmm. And what you're really saying is that the fundamental laws of supply and demand no longer obtain, or they obtain in such a different way sure. as to create a whole new thing. Now, it is very easy to look out the window today and, and come to that conclusion when you mm-hmm. see what's happening in technology. Uh, yeah. I would just argue that it was similarly easy to do that in the mid-1960s. <laughs> sure. And similarly do yeah. that when the railways came. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will always find this new way, which is basically a high level of growth with a low level of inflation. Yeah. And it's very easy to believe that structurally everything has changed until one day we realise it hasn't. And it is one of the, the big issues, the whole the way that people are incentivized in the in the industry, it's all about short term gain. Yeah. So I would say almost one hundred percent that is the problem. Uh, and uh, we take what is long term capital and we turn it into short term capital. And society is much better served if it was going the other way, actually. Uh, right. So to take I mean your pension, my pension, that's long term capital. It should be invested mm. like long term capital. Uh, the money we choose in our defined uh, contribution funds should be managed like long-term capital. We manage, we manage like short-term capital. Now, that is all easily fixable mm-hmm. with the right incentives, which is amazing because how many times does anyone say anything's easy in finance? The problem is we try to fix it with regulation. Now, if you try to fix it with regulations, then you just bring in lots of lawyers who try to work out how to get around the regulations. Right, right. So if we had the right incentives, uh, it would work. Now, my citation for that is Charlie Munger. I think is the world's smartest man, Warren Buffett's, the brains behind Warren Buffett. Uh, um, And Munger says, uh, never ever think about anything else when you should be thinking about incentives. If you look at the incentives for anything, they will tell you the outcomes. And we've got the wrong incentives. And, you know, it's not rocket science to fix that. And my kind of final point on that is unless we from inside the system, if you like the capitalist system, proactively begin to fix this, somebody will come along with a sledgehammer of legislation and try to fix it for us. And history suggests they won't do a very good job. Right. So right. there is, if I can quote from Mr. Smith, enlightened self-interest in the financial system itself trying to fix itself. Right, OK. Otherwise, it's, it's down to increase regulation, which... Uh, I mean, do, do you feel... That part of the issue with the mistakes is, I suppose, um, the banks are under so much scrutiny at the moment that they're very wary of making any further mistakes. So they, they may be quite cautious and the regulations increased. And is, is there not also an argument for saying we need to have a little bit of freedom to make mistakes? Sure. But that's about incentives and not regulation. What I'm saying is, is the regulation isn't really going to work. It's not yeah. really going to help. It's either going to you know, absolutely crush innovation and crush mm-hmm. lending or it's going to be too lax. But if incentives were there, so, so for instance, if one was working for a bank and was a loan officer, uh, and your portfolio would stay with you for five years. I mean, the technology is there to track right. your portfolio and how it's performing. Yeah. And your incentives would be based on that. I mean, the technology is there. I'm personally, and I honestly look at it from a much more top-down level, given what I do for a living, mm. would like to see stepped dividends, which is you would not automatically qualify for a full dividend by buying a share. You'd have to behold the shares for a certain number of years. Yes. Uh, this would encourage you to behave like an owner and not a trader. Uh, so that's just two, you know, a micro incentive, mm. a, ma- a bigger macro incentive that would help focus on what we're supposed to be doing, which is allocating capital for good return. Smith has a great quote where he says that actually the efficient allocation of capital is more important than its accumulation. 
And I think he'd be absolutely, I mean, I paraphrase there, but I think he'd be absolutely stunned if right. he saw how we were allocating right. capital, mm-hmm. particularly allocating it to the world's biggest companies. You know, an index fund picks the largest market capitalization companies and uh, gives them more money. But I, mean, I think he'd just be baffled as to what that was called. So, I'm, so Smith and capitalism get a bad rap, uh, but what we have today is, is not mm-hmm. Smith's system. Right. Okay. Which is maybe why it doesn't work very well. Yeah. You, you come from a, an academic uh, background. How, how do you think the education system could change potentially to, to bring forward a, a, a generation that's better prepared to enter the financial services market? Yeah, so the, in terms of economics itself, things, I mean, in academia, things do change slowly, but there is change underway. And so the Institute of New, new Economic Thinking, which is the Soros think tank, has put forward a new syllabus which has been endorsed by some universities. So that is definitely progress, definitely movement uh, in the right, in the mm-hmm. right direction. Obviously, my personal view is that financial history should be back on the mm. agenda. And it's not one of the most embarrassing things about uh, putting this library together is we all these books were bought secondhand. And a huge number of them, when you open them up, are stamped ex-university off library. And what happened is when we came to believe in the efficiency of markets, in the equation and the power of the decimal point, the teachers of that particular discipline threw away the financial history books. So it's not just that it's not on the syllabus. A lot of these books have actually been stripped out of university libraries. And as I said, you know, the, the, the numbers are like examining a cadaver. And mm-hmm. what we've got to do is, is, is understand human behaviour. And, you know, both are kind of useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of them we've just completely stopped. So that would be two things. One is already happening with the Institute of New Economic Thinking. Yep. A bit more financial history to understand how things have happened doesn't sound like rocket science to a member of the public that the understanding of how things have happened could help understand how things will happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and could you tell us a little bit more about how you actually went about setting the library up? Because for most people who are listening to this, won't have been, but it's a, a charming little building just in a muse, just, uh, just not far from Charlotte Square uh, in the centre of Edinburgh. How, how did you actually get the place set up yeah well it's a charity and it comes out of this charity which has for many years been running the practical history of financial markets course and that course sometimes makes a profit so we sometimes have a little bit of extra money uh, we have been giving that away actually to uh, educate sixth formers on their uh, personal finances and uh, so therefore to fund this library i needed donors and the donors of this library are on the wall of this room and they're actually you can see them on our website as well so the donors are all financial practitioners who have at least varying degrees of sympathy with what the library's up to, to say that there has to be more to it than, than simply simply numbers. So that was the easy, I mean, actually the easy bit was getting the money uh, because there was such right. a strong feeling that mm-hmm. we need to do something. And this is a very, very small step, but people wanted to, to do something. Uh, after that, it's selecting the books, which is, you know, I, it's my kind of field, so it was not that difficult for me to get into starting this. We were mm-hmm. incredibly lucky because we met uh, Professor Stuart Hamilton from IMD, with a name like Stuart Hamilton, you can gather that he was originally Scottish. He had just retired and he'd built up a huge collection of books over the years and he donated them to this library. Right. Uh, and tragically, Stuart died just after the library was, right. was open. But we still benefit from, from his legacy and about a third of the books here uh, come from right. uh, Professor Stuart Hamilton. We also have a large archive which he donated because he was a professor of accountancy. So right. he was particularly interested in things like Enron. Uh, we have a large uh, Enron archive mm. as to what the accountants were up to as well. Great. And what, what plans do you have for the library? Because uh, this is not the only library, is it? You're spreading around the world. Yeah, we are uh, in a kind of uh, sporadic fashion. So we have another library in Pune, India. So if anybody listening to this is off to Pune, uh, please go to the Flame University and you will find our 
Library within the Flame University, which is a wonderful uh, institution. It was started as a private venture, but is now fully endorsed as a university, uh, particularly good at encouraging women to come and study on a very mm -hmm. safe campus. So there's one in the Flame University. We will have one in Lausanne, and not quite sure when. It, unlikely now to be before the end of the year, but possibly before the end of the year, certainly sometime next year, we will have one in, uh, in Lausanne. And these are really set up by people of the like-minded view who think this is important. But obviously, can raise the money. That's kind of the second kind of important ingredient. Sure. And where these two ingredients come together, we can have a library of mistake. And the technology allows us to replicate this very, very quickly mm -hmm. uh, because the whole catalogue is online. Anybody who can go into our website and search the entire catalogue. So replicating this in terms of a library is very simple. Also, very cheap. Well, cheap, cheapish, mm -hmm. because secondhand books and finance are not expensive. Right. I think the average price of a book in here is about ten pounds sterling. So the universities are doing us a great favour. That's still quite a lot when you multiply it by the number of books on the shelves. Yeah, it is. But I think sometimes when people think of a library, they think mm. of hundreds of thousands of pounds. Sure, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It absolutely yeah. isn't. But the universities are flooding the market with old books mm -hmm. on, uh, on finance yeah. and uh, financial history. So we are the beneficiary of that. Right. And then what, what would you like to do with the, the library concept ultimately? Do you have plans for de developing that further? Yeah, so some other things we've already done. We have a lecture series here, which has been running for many years. Uh, it's a very small venue, but we get 30 people in. So anybody who registers will be invited to the lectures. We have some very high-profile speakers here, and we, we do a joint venture with uh, Edinburgh University. So we can take 150 people there, and we do that maybe once a year. We get a very high-profile speaker, and we'll do a joint venture with... Edinburgh University. Uh, we do a financial history walking tour. Uh, we're trying to bring students down here and now uh, uh, members of the library as well. We do a walking tour for them. There's a book group that runs out of the library. So this is all kind of small and, and micro. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the long-term plan for the library is to go well beyond finance. You know, Back to that human decision-making under uncertainty. Well, it's not just financiers that have to do that. I mean, generals have to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, postmen probably have to do that. You know, everybody has yes. to do that. Yeah. So the Kahneman uh, approach, the one that's recognised by the Nobel Prize, is the uh, psychology approach. We think there's a whole new way we can overlap with that, mm. which is mm. based upon this. And we therefore intend to build up into other spheres, medicine, uh, sociology, science, everything, where we can look at human decision-making under uncertainty and believe that at the root cause of this, and this is the work of Kahneman, we all have the same problem with this. Mm. Whether whatever whatever field we're in, we all have the same problem. And that problem is our brains have certain, I don't want to call them flaws, because that would just say human beings are flawed, but the, the, the human beings have ways in which they're not 100% rational. That yeah. might be the right euphemism mm. for this. Yeah. And those things in which we're not 100% rational affect decision-making in all fields, not just finance. Finance is amplified because mm. of the consequences of it, and also because in finance we live so much in the future and really don't live in the past at all. So we're going to have more mistakes, and they're going to be bigger mistakes. But inherently, they're probably the same mistakes that are made in other fields. So we need to draw on the work from, from other fields. Right. And, it, and so if this place is all about learning from the mistakes of the past, are there any notable mistakes in your own life, Russell, that you have uh, perhaps made but then learned from? Uh, and benefited from in, in a strange way. So th there's a very easy answer to that because I've been writing a research on the future for financial markets uh, since 1994. So every single word of it is documented. So we don't have to go very far at all to discover the mistakes <laughs> that, that I have made. Uh, and one day when I get time, I will enshrine them in the library so that everybody can, can, mm. can see them. The future is difficult. Uh, all I would say about, fi about finance, or particularly about investment, which is slightly different from other pursuits, is that you, in, in this business, you don't need to get the right answer. 
the markets are a discounting mechanism. At any given point in time, they're looking to the future. Mm. So you don't need to get the right answer. You just need to have a better answer. Mm-hmm. So I can give you lots of examples of where my answers have been wrong, mm-hmm. uh, lots of answers of where they've been better. And on the whole, they kind of hopefully they even out. Uh, but I think it was Buffett himself who said that if, you know, if your strike rate was 60-40, you'd be a genius. And that's, that's from Warren Buffett. So, sure, yeah. yeah. You know, particularly in financial yeah. markets, where the, where the price of the instrument itself is already discounting a future, mm. it's particularly difficult. So uh, I will definitely uh, induct lots of my mistakes right. <laughs> into, into, into the library <laughs> of mistakes. Great. Well, thanks very much, Professor Russell Napier. It's been fascinating to hear about the library. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Fraser Allen from White Light Media Scotland's most creative and results-driven content marketing agency. Of course, we all make mistakes. One of mine has been to try and record this segment in the house while my seven-year-old daughter watches TV and my dog barks and the birds are tweeting outside and a tractor repeatedly drives up and down the lane outside the house. But mistakes will keep happening. The important thing is to learn from them. I hope you've enjoyed this special mistakes-filled episode of the podcast and that you'll be back again in two weeks' time. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.